0: what up what up what up this is daniel safer and you're listening to another episode of fitness frameworks these last couple of years my health and fitness have been a big part of my life i've spent tons of time testing failing learning and iterating on my nutrition and exercise plan with the help of mentors the real question has been as a busy professional how can i develop a sustainable fitness lifestyle where i prioritize my health but i do not let it consume my life this podcast is here to give you the answer. Join me and follow along as I keep learning to apply and share fitness frameworks that help me achieve my health goals. My name is Daniel Safer and welcome to Fitness Frameworks. All right, so I'm super excited for this episode because it is the first ever podcast interview on fitness frameworks. And not only that, I actually enjoyed it a lot because I had a lot of fun exploring topics that I don't really talk about. So my promise to you is that we are going to unravel and we're going to talk about these different topics, whether it's intermittent fasting, veganism, a specific philosophy behind veganism, and plenty of other things that you can take a lot from and you can apply to your fitness lifestyle. So with that being said, let's get into it. We have a great one for you today. I'm excited to have this guest on the show. I truly enjoy how much value he tries to give his audience. And I definitely aspire to have that same level of energy and effort. I came across his YouTube content about a year ago when he did a collaboration with my second fitness coach, Mario Tomic. Ever since then, I started binge watching all of his YouTube videos because I was able to learn so much from them. I enjoyed how he mixed in fitness with personal development and other aspects of life. Recently, he actually started working on some pretty cool content for his channel with some interesting topics, which I'd like to hear more about and I'm sure he wouldn't mind sharing. I'm excited to have Radu Antonio on here on this podcast. Radu, how are you doing, man? Did I pronounce your, your name right?
1: Yeah, you actually did. Thanks, Daniel, for having me on.
0: Yeah, no, I'm super hyped to have you here, man. I mean, like I mentioned before, when we were talking, it feels unreal that... I just used to watch your YouTube videos and now you're just here virtually in front of me. So I think this is really cool and I'm excited to have you here, man. Awesome. Thanks so much. So, what I want to start to is just getting into your story. You know, how did you get into fitness and tell me about the long road that you came from?
1: Well, I got into fitness like any other high school guy. So, you know, I look better and be cooler. I guess that's the (laughs) starting point for everybody. Because you wanted to look good at parties and you know be more popular in school. And uh, I guess that's how most people start. And um, then you know, I just began investing more and more effort into it, and I no longer cared as much about the uh, external recognition I got, but more about the, the activity itself. I uh, like feeling good, uh, being fit. Um, It's also a healthy lifestyle and also it brings a lot of meaning to my life. It's interesting that one of the key areas to uh, one of the key strategies to happiness is to always have at least one area of your life under full control. And for me, it's it's fitness. It's uh, no matter what's going on. For instance, right now, my YouTube channel is in a fiasco. Uh, My audience kind of some of my audience turned against me for not for, for changing and uh, my income took, took a big hit so there's all this stuff that's going on bad in my life but at least there's a pillar you know there's, the, there's, there's fitness I can go to the gym I can see the weight increases increasing I can derive meaning from that and it helps drive me forward so uh, even though I started from that point where I was mainly interested in the uh, external recognition I'm now at a point where I use fitness and lifting weights more as a uh, as a tool to keep my life under control and add meaning.
0: Yeah, no, I totally get that. And I could totally resonate with that where she's like, dude, I just want to look good without a shirt on. And <laughs> that, that was told me back in the day. What I still haven't pinpointed, which I'm curious to see if you have is. When did that switch happen, right? For you, when did that switch from, all right, it's all about looking good to, all right, now it's actually a part of my life that I'm enjoying. And it kind of keeps things grounded, keep things together. Yeah, it probably happened when I got into a serious relationship. Um, I
1: I was a much more shallow guy uh, before that. Uh, Also, probably because I was younger. But, you know, once I got into into a stable relationship, I no wrong i no longer had that um fantasy in my head that i would meet you know some new girl that i liked and she would be impressed when i took my shirt off and she saw that i was you know muscular and lean it no longer that fantasy was no longer part of my life and uh, i didn't really care about the recognition from older guys either so it just i just started lifting weights for myself and staying lean because i enjoyed it and also also because i needed to still be an example for my audience you know if you're if you have a a fitness youtube channel if you're selling fitness courses you need to be in shape
0: you know imagine letting myself go and not going to the gym (laughs) it
1: (laughs) it wouldn't look good
0: of course yeah you got to set that example and that, that's really interesting that you talked about how once you started having, you know, those different aspects of your life and trying to focus on those, I feel like you already had your fitness down as well. It kind of became a routine. And then you were able to start doing that for yourself. So when your motivation changed and fitness became a habit to you, did you start to come across any challenges with balancing other aspects of your life and fitness as well? Not really. The only obstacle is time. You know, I wish I could have
1: more time in the day like anybody else. And uh, going to the gym four times a week, uh, taking each workout, taking, uh, you know, one and a half hours, two hours. And plus, you know, the going to the gym and the shower and the post-workout meal, that's about, you know, three to four hours there that I have to
0: dedicate in a day. And that is really the only challenge. So then what were some of the things you did to try to save more time? Was it either more in the workout realm of like trying to cut your exercises, trying to maybe, you know, cut a couple showers so you don't have to waste as much time or was it on the nutrition side or even then was it just like trying to optimize other aspects of your life so that you can keep on dedicating that time to fitness? I think uh, if you want to to be
1: uh, beyond an
0: intermediate level, so you want
1: you want to reach an advanced level in uh terms of strength and muscle development and also leanness there is a minimum amount of time that you need to dedicate you can't really you know there's there's a point in which you can shorten your workouts and not dedicate enough uh, a lot of time to nutrition but you can't do it to the point where it's no longer it no longer requires effort there's always some effort there and uh, you know i over the years i tried to optimize it the best i could I don't want to go, for example, five times a week to the gym. I just do four workouts and uh, maybe at some point I'm going to cut it back to three. And uh, in terms of nutrition, I don't track my calories and macros. I don't weigh stuff, but I still cook because it's the only way that I can reliably eat healthy. And also uh, on a vegan diet, it's really difficult to... Uh, get get enough protein if you don't put in time to cook your meals. And um, for me, it's just a sacrifice that I accept. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into it, but there's really nothing I can do about it. So I just accept it. You know, my workouts take this amount of time. Cooking takes time. I just have to fit everything everything else I'm
0: doing uh, around that. Yeah there There's actually a couple interesting points you said that I want to go back to, so one was the idea that you don't have to go to this super advanced stage where you're lifting all the time, right like it's okay to be at that intermediate stage and stay at that stage, and you could still shape your life in the way that you want. so I think that was just a really interesting point because it's a reminder for me sometimes. sometimes I'm just there like, dude, I'm trying to get like Arnold even though you know that would take crazy amount of commitment i probably don't have the work ethic or the genetics to even get there so it's okay to be realistic about you know what i don't have to be like the craziest strongest guy in the gym i just have to do what fits my lifestyle
1: uh yeah i think if you want to be advanced if you want to be really muscular and really strong you really have to dedicate a lot of time to this you have to pay attention to your meals you have to pay attention to your, your program you actually have to do a training program not a routine i i do a, a routine i do the same thing every week and i change the rep ranges here and there but i don't have those block periodizations where you know you test your m wraps and you uh, train based on percentages i try i i, I always uh, track my workouts and aim to make progress but i don't want to go to be that de- dedicated because it's just beyond my goals I don't really care about that and uh, I think this is something that a lot of people like you said don't don't get because you can choose you know to be at the proficient level you know which would be between intermediate and advanced and at that point you look you know you could you look like a movie star essentially if you're lean and you don't really have to be crazy about your workouts and nutrition that's That's a point that you can maintain pretty easily. And if you have outstanding genetics, you can do it even, maybe you can be advanced, but you you cannot be elite. You know, you cannot be world-class without,
0: you know, putting a world-class amount of time and effort. Yeah. The second thing I want to talk about is you kind of, it, it looked like you were going a little towards intuitive eating when you mentioned how you don't really have to track everything. So it was kind of more about feeling what your body, how your body feels. Is it really satisfied? Is it really full? So that's something I I personally struggle with because back, you know, when I was growing up, it was, you have to finish everything on your plate and that's the habit that I had. So for me, like, or not even for me, just for anyone struggling with intuitive eating, what are some tips or recommendations that you might give that might help them just to actually start to listen to their body? Regarding intuitive eating,
1: I think that the only way you can get there is if you actually track calories and macros for a while, I would say actually a pretty long time, so you understand which foods have the macronutrients that you need, protein, fats, carbs, and you also have a good feel of how many calories are in each food. Because for me it's natural, you know, if I see some biscuits I know that you know around 400 calories per 100 grams if they're not if they don't contain a lot of fat. And sometimes I I talk with with my girlfriend and because she never did this because she never weighed food and wasn't obsessed about tracking every little thing. She is surprised when I tell her that hey you know popcorn has almost you know popcorn that we buy from the movie theater has about as much calories as chocolate. And she's like what this can't be you know because we. We failed unless you actually track calories and macros, you fail to see that, you know, bread has a lot of calories, you know, almost as much as something, a dessert that you like. And um, that's the first step. You have to start with uh, learning the, the calories and macros in the foods that you eat regularly. And then it's about finding a, a, an eating schedule that you adhere to every day. You have to have a structure for, for your meals. And um, this really depends on your schedule and your goals. Um, For some people do intermittent fasting, you know, where they push their first meal to noon or maybe in the afternoon, and then they have one or two or maybe three um, big meals. So they get all their calories that way. Other people have more frequent smaller meals. The idea is that you need to have a basic structure that you adhere to every day and um, you never eat more in a meal that than you had planned. For instance, in the morning, I always eat a small meal. I uh, drink a protein shake because you know, again, with a vegan diet, it's really hard to get enough protein without a protein shake. Then I have a big meal at noon and uh, rather a smaller meal uh, in the evening. This is my structure right now. In the past, it used to be different. I used to do intermittent fasting, have a big meal at uh, at night. And uh, I, w- I used to break my my fast at noon with a, a medium-sized meal and have a snack in between or something. But I, in uh, with each of these structures, I never reverse the order of the sizes of the meals. I never have right now. I never have a big meal in the morning and a small meal at night. It's always the same. You 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 have to to have to have structure. And uh, another, another on, on top of these of these two points, knowing the uh, macros and calories of the foods you eat regularly, and having a, a rigid structure, I would say, uh, eat lower quality foods, uh, l- lower quality, lower calorie foods. Gotcha. <laughs> um, all right, that's yeah. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you have to, to get used to eating uh, uh, lower calorie foods uh, most of the time, because. Then you can go by by how hungry you are. You can uh, you can use your your hunger to guide you, um, and you realize how how close you are to your maintenance calories. Because you know if you eat potatoes, you re- you can eat a larger amount than if you eat uh, I don't know pasta or maybe biscuits or you know peanuts or something. Mm-hmm. Um, volume is important. You you've got to learn to to. Uh, eat vo- voluminous food
0: now those are some three great tips man i mean you know the first one with just being able to understand your macros at a visual cue like the i like to count calories now because it's more like calibrating my scale so it's like it reminds me like all right this much like you can measure it against your phone you carry your phone everywhere so whenever you have like a piece of chicken somewhere and you're out to eat you just put it next to your phone and you get an idea of the size and you go like, all right it might weigh like four ounces or maybe six ounces whatever that is but when you count calories, you can really start to calibrate that number. So one was, you know, sorry, when you count your macronutrients. So number one, you said was figuring out your macronutrients, seeing what works for you and being good at estimating them. Number two was having a a simple structure to your meal plan and not really deviating from that, which I think there's so much power in simplicity. Because once, once I used to start to get really complicated and had like these crazy food preps, that's when it wasn't enjoyable anymore. That's when... I kind of despise doing my food preps on Sundays because it's like, dude, I'm going to spend five hours making all these different things, you know? <laughs> right. And then the third one, just whole satiating, nutritious foods. I totally agree. I think I think once I started getting re- – so even though I do like flexible dieting, at first I still ate a lot of processed foods like my snack bars. It was so hard to just limit that quantity because that that's the thing about flexible dieting is you can eat whatever you want essentially, but – you have to eat them in portions that fit those macronutrients. But once I switched over to, as you said, whole nutritious foods, actually, I did start to feel a lot more full. But like I said, I still have that habit of just over consuming and not really portioning properly. Right. So interesting segue, because next I wanted to talk about you brought how uh, you're vegan. And I know before you weren't always vegan. So tell me a little bit about that transition for yourself. And Maybe what were some of the obstacles in transitioning towards veganism? Um,
1: right. I know that, you know, veganism is hated uh, in the online community a lot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, 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 I can understand that. Um, for me, it's totally ethical. I don't really believe in the, in the health advantages of the vegan diet when it's compared to an equally nutritious omnivorous diet that is also plant-based. Because of course, you know, if you compare a, a vegan diet with uh, the average diet, uh, where people consume a lot of calories, they drink heavily on the weekends. Of course, you know, people are going to have better health markers. Um, but you know, you know, it's interesting. There's there is some evidence to support the vegans' claims that um, it's it's better for health in the long term. I just don't think that it's clear that. You know, a, a 100% vegan diet is better for health than a, say, 90% plant-based diet. Uh, maybe some some vegans would disagree. Perhaps I don't know the research. Perhaps I'm misguided. You know, I I can, I can accept changing my mind when uh, presented with with evidence. But for me, it was it was ethical. Um, interestingly, I it happened um, because I was i was uh, listening to the to the book sapiens by yuval noah harari and uh, it's not it's not even a book it's not even a book about veganism or anything about animals it was just a story of how humans abuse um farm animals and they've done it for you know thousands of years and i was at the point where i, w- I already reduced my meat intake for environmental reasons um, after reading the book should we eat meat by Václav Smil? It's a, th- those are some some great books. And anyway, I realized, hey, look, um, why not cut cut back all all animal products? Because I know how to do it, and uh, it seems to be the the ethical choice. And that's what I did. And then over the years, I I got more into the the, the ethical side of things, and I I'm. I you know the, the the motivations became clearer and I'm actually creating a a a series on this right now where I um I deconstruct veganism I present both both sides of the of the argument and uh the the idea beca- behind the, the the movement or the philosophy and uh, for me obstacles well probably protein is the biggest obstacle when you're focused on lifting weights because um, it's really hard to get enough protein on a vegan diet if you eat if you, if you don't include a protein shake uh, in, in your diet because every every plant food that is high in protein is also high in either fats or carbs. Legumes have, have a lot of protein but they have a lot of carbs as well you know peanuts nuts seeds they have a lot of protein they have a lot of fat. And uh, when you're maintaining or lean bulking, it's not really that difficult uh, to, to get enough protein because you eat a lot of calories. But when you're cutting, you, I, I personally have to get, you know, 70 grams of protein uh, from protein shakes. And it's, yeah, it's, it's not enjoyable. It makes dieting a lot, a lot harder because uh, liquid calories aren't as, sa- as, as satiating as uh, solid Uh, calories especially protein and um, you know it it makes things more more difficult but other than that there aren't really that many obstacles Uh, I have the advantage that I don't really care about the taste of food you know because Mm. if you're a foodie and you you want to eat delicious uh, plant-based food then you need to be a pretty good cook to be able to combine the flavors and all that stuff Luckily, I'm I'm not like that, and I can just have you know mediocre food, and I, I I don't I don't complain about it.
0: You're a robot. You just eat whatever's in front of you. <laughs> not I
1: wouldn't say that far, but yeah, I it's it's, it's not that that important to me. Uh, I've heard that some people who really you know enjoy flavors and uh, their, their 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 food is what they don't like about the transition to vegan di- to the vegan diet is that they spend a lot more time cooking have to gather you know different ingredients and uh, it it takes a lot more more time to to cook your meals but yeah you know luckily for me it wasn't the case
0: no yeah that's really interesting that you talk about you know that transition not being um, I mean you do have those benefits of really not being so picky with your food but I I never really thought about that how if you're trying to lose weight where there's not like this or, or maybe there are but like this Specific food like chicken that just super high in protein and then low in fat and low in carbs that you could utilize so that maybe you could have like your higher carb higher fats and then still hit your protein intake
1: exactly there's no there's no plant food that is only protein there is those there are those vegetable uh, protein texture rates where essentially, it's essentially protein that I don't know how they do it but it's it's uh, it has texture almost like meat. You know, I, I I don't know what they do with it, but uh other than that, I I don't know
0: of any other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's basically what like what is it like Beyond Meat or all these different companies that right. they create. I guess those fake meat products that feel like meat, but you know, yeah, exactly. we know they're not meat. <laughs> And I actually want to take a step back because you mentioned something int- interesting. You talked about your motivations and when they all became clear for veganism. So, can you expand on that a bit more?
1: Yeah. Um like I was telling you in the intro, I think yeah. this the argument or, you know, that the topic of veganism has to start with the question what is important. And if you Think about it, and you try to analyze what is important in the universe. <laughs> you know, I, I'm pretty sure some some listeners are gonna say, "Oh my God!" You know, another vegan with his with these ideas. You know, but hear me out. So, if you if you accept the science that we haven't been created by a a god that left us a book behind to tell us how to live our lives, and that the planet is only a few thousand years old, and we're based on intelligent design and all that stuff. If you accept the scientific version that this is a universe that somehow came into being without, without a clear goal and molecules just arrange themselves in planets and stars and you know, our planet, then it's really hard to, to find a, a big purpose, a, a universal meaning to all of this. And uh, it, there doesn't seem to be one. At least we we do, we cannot we don't seem to to be able to to find it. And so we're left, you know, with a meaningless world, with a meaningless universe. But this isn't totally true because life, when it evolved, it kind of created meaning for itself. Um, when the first life form came into being, it kind of arbitrarily decided that. The things which are beneficial to its continued existence are good and the things which are benefic- which, are, uh, which shorten its, its existence are bad. So that was the first moral system ever and then based on that binary guide of life and death through evolution life selected um, emotions, drives and sensations that essentially inform the organism what is desirable and what is undesirable and uh, this is how we got for instance that the sensation of hunger is bad because it indicates that we're running low on energy and we're about to die mm-hmm. and this is why we have you know the, the sen- we have a pleasurable sensation when we are really tired and we sleep and we are really thirsty and we drink some water or we hug a loved one it's all 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 of these sensations, drives, and emotions were essentially um, evolved to um, inform us whether we're heading uh, towards death or we are um, doing the right thing to to stay alive. And uh, we humans essentially used these this arbitrary um this arbitrary model that life put in place to create our ethical system um we say you know why is rape bad because raping someone creates all these sensations that are unpleasurable in in the human animal you know you feel terror you feel uh, anger you feel helplessness you feel despair and these things, we automatically say that they're bad because life decided that they should feel bad. It isn't, uh, you know, uh, the cosmos doesn't care, but we on the, individual, on the individual level cannot help but care about how these drive sensations and emotions feel. And so uh, philosophers uh, realize that a good way to create to derive meaning in the world is essentially a current known as uh, utilitarianism uh, where you, you decide the rightness or wrongness of an act based on the amount of suffering or pleasure it creates. If something you do creates suffering then you, you can infer that it's bad, it's undesirable in the universe because we, we only have the viewpoint of life forms and uh, if something you do is uh, creates pleasure for instance you know you help a child you buy him a toy and you see the joy that he gets out of that then we say that's a good act and so you know if you study our, our current laws you see that our standards are getting better are, are getting higher and higher we are more, and we are we are no longer as reluctant as in the past with abuses uh, of of humans. You know, we we say, hey, there's a, a, a human decency that needs to uh, be in place at the workplace. You cannot work people to 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 death. You have to um, pay attention to the workers' mental health, and you you understand what I mean. You, we, we use this this guide of. Um, of reducing suffering and maximizing well-being to set up our international laws and even national laws. Of course there are other things there there's there, there are other uh, foundations of our ethical system but this is the the big one And right now we're at the point where we are realizing that um, humans aren't the only creatures that have these internal states that, can feel pain, that can actually not pain, something akin to pain, because we cannot really feel how a pig feels, we cannot really uh, feel how a chicken feels, but we have scanned the brains of of humans and we have scanned the brains of other mammals and we can see that the structures are similar, that the way a person's brain uh, lights up in an fMRI scan when it feels pain is very similar to the way uh, a pig's brain lights up when it feels pain and uh, there, all, there are all these studies in cognition that show that people th- that uh, animals aren't as stupid as we used to think that they have a, an understanding of, of what's happening to them to them they have they have close um, social relationships and so we are at the point where we're starting to ask hey should we care about the 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 state of the animals as well we we find it unthinkable to have some people work somewhere as slaves you know uh digging coal or whatever but it's totally fine to lock pigs in tiny cages and castrate them without anesthesi- uh, uh, an anesthetics or how do you say without an uh, anesthesia we lack you know 10000 birds in a single building and they fight there uh because of the pecking order and you know it's a bunch of a whole bunch of suffering in the in the animal industry and so we're asking hey should we care about the fate of animals as well and uh, this is essentially the the question vegans think that we we should because we're at the point in uh, in our human uh, development where we no longer need to kill animals for food to be healthy this didn't use this wasn't true even 100 years ago because uh, you didn't have this global trade system where you could import food from tropical areas while it's winter in your country or you you didn't have these vast greenhouses to produce vegetables in winter, and you didn't have supplements to uh, take the nutrients that are absent from animal products. So it was really impossible to to have an animal-free diet even 100 years ago, and it's still impossible in many parts of the world. But in modern societies, you can have a perfectly nutritious diet that doesn't include animals and so we can say okay look this is what we should do because it's terrible what's happening in slaughterhouses it's terrible what's happening in the dairy industry it's terrible what's happening uh, in the egg industry so we should learn to get our get our nutrients from plants and supplements the stuff that are lacking in plants and uh, this is this is my refined version of the of the argument there's a lot more to say here about how you quantify the suffering between a vegan system and an omnivore system. There are scenarios where you could you, where you could imagine an omnivore diet being more ethical than a vegan diet and also more environmentally friendly so there's a lot mm-hmm. of complexity that I analyze, but this is the um, essentially the the big version of it.
0: No, yeah. And and I really appreciate how you start from this more philosophical perspective, right? So you looked at it both ways. You looked at it top down, like the cosmos to us. You know, if you look at it in the way where, all right, in the end, we're just gonna all disappear somehow, like everyone we know, everyone we know that they know that they know, like, that's just all gonna be gone at some point. So it doesn't matter. But then if you look at it bottom up, from your subjective experience, like, I think, what was it that it was like for you look at it top down, nothing matters, but if you look at it bottom up, everything matters. I forgot what you said. That kind of caught my attention. Like, oh, that's that's an interesting way because that is what it is, right? You know, like in your world, everything revolves around you, even you, know, you don't want to admit it. But you're like, How am I feeling? How's this gonna affect me? All of that. And then the other interesting point they brought up is that I didn't think about was how veganism is actually an option now. Where a hundred years ago it wasn't. Because as you said, I mean, I do know that there are some problems with like, all right, they're trying to get, you know, I think I forgot if it was vitamin B or vitamin D that, that is hard to get in the vegan diet or B12. B12. Yeah. So, you know, it's important to have it, but it's hard to get it, but now we can supplement with that stuff. Or as you said, you have the protein shake so that you can actually be, you know, like a vegan bodybuilder and get the, the physical results you want if you want them. With a vegan diet. So it's interesting that you brought up those two different points and how in the end, it just results to asking that question of how you personally view an animal subjective experience and how, how much value you want to give that is kind of what I'm getting from, from that. But that's, yes. I, I really, I appreciate that motivation. And I'm curious if, if maybe... Uh, sustainability also played a role in your decision, or it was mostly just what you took us through.
1: Um, I actually started reducing my intake of animal products because of um, the environment, the, the environmental arguments. I, um, I, I was really interested in uh, in sustainable energy and climate change ever since I was in high school, and at some point in twenty seventeen, I decided to start reading some books about it. And uh, I started with uh, Václav Smil. Mm-hmm. He, I, I, I learned about him from Bill Gates. It's uh, his favorite author. Okay. And uh, this, this man is incredible. He has written 42 books or 43 books. Wow. And uh, they are so good at helping you understand how the world works. Because he analyzes so many topics. It's, it's ridiculous. From the biosphere... To energy, energy transitions, uh, should we eat meat, and uh, uh, what different fuels are 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 most optimal? Anyway, I I started reading his work, and uh, I started with the book "Should We Eat Meat?" because I was eating a lot of meat at that time uh, back in 2017 when I was really, you know, the 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 classic fitness guy I think I was eating about 150 kilograms of meat per year wow. you know it's yeah if, if if you think about it if you eat you know 300 grams 400 grams of meat per day over the course of a year it adds <laughs> to such a huge yeah. quantity and also eggs on top of that and dairy on top of that and anyway um after I I I, I read that book I realized that it's, it's a good idea to, to cut back on meat. So that's what I did. But uh, right now, I'm actually writing a, a book on the vegan diet. It's called Vegan Diet, Is It Worth It? Where I analyze all these uh, arguments, you know, the health argument, the environmental argument, and the ethical argument. I try to see if the, the 100% plant-based diet is really the best in all of them. And I actually spent six months Last year compiling data from life cycle analysis, they're a type of study that um, takes a product, say a pen, and they try to they they analyze every every part of the production process and they calculate how much pollution and energy is uh, created in the production of a functional unit, you know. That could be one kilogram, it could be a ton, it could be a single pen. Anyway, and uh, there's a lot of uh, LCA data on food, and what I did is I, I, uh, I looked at the United Nations data on the uh, per capita food consumption in the United Kingdom, and it shows you know that the average Briton eats 100 kilograms of meat. You know 20 kilograms of eggs 100 kilograms of wheat whatever and uh i looked at lca data data for each o- of those foods and i'm gonna i'm going to do the same for uh you know a, a, a vegan diet and try to see how big the difference actually is because there's a lot of there are a lot of studies that say that vegan diets are superior to omnivorous diets but i never know what vegan diets those people were having because they they can be so different you know me in romania if i drink a lot of coconut milk imported from the caribbeans and i eat tofu brought in from hong kong and i get rice from thailand and i eat uh, greenhouse tomatoes from the netherlands that those plant plant uh, uh, products can have a very high environmental uh, impact higher than for instance a you know uh, maybe milk that is uh, from a from a, a, a local source and uh, i'm i'm not currently done with this so i can't really give you a a a concrete answer but from my studies it is true that uh, very few uh, plant products have a higher environmental impact than animal products and the products that do have a higher impact are you are usually are not a staple in the vegan diet like meat is like eggs are you know for instance asparagus is is, is usually air freighted is transported by plane so it's fresh because apparently it has a very short uh, shelf life and you know a kilogram of, of asparagus is perhaps worse than a kilogram of chicken for instance but you don't eat 100 kilograms of asparagus a year. Perhaps you eat half a kilogram a year. You mm-hmm. see what I mean? Yeah. And uh, if I'm, I'm interested to see when I draw the line and I I calculate, um, uh, you know, the the quantities of food that uh, a vegan or an omnivore eat, how how big the the, the difference uh, is um, over the course of a year or a month or a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. Man, I suspect can... it is. I, I suspect the, the vegan yeah. diet wins, uh-huh. but I can't tell you by what margin so
0: far. No, it's going to be very interesting when you when you take that out, man. That's, Yeah, <laughs> I mean, actually being able to see the numbers behind it sometimes just opens people's eyes up or their minds just to actually even want to hear about it, right? Because like you said, veganism can be something that there's this spectrum on how people are, how open people are to it. And it just very often people are on the opposite sides, either it's like pro-vegan or not, you know, for it at all. So I think when you're able to sometimes see that data or present it to someone, something just clicks in their mind and maybe they're open to like, all right, well, what can I do to maybe make those changes that might correlate with something that I believe in or whatever values I have that aligns with the numbers you just showed me? But that's gonna be really cool, man. Thanks. So... I want to start wrapping up. I want to be respectful of your time. I had a couple more questions, though. And that would be for someone who, you know, might just hear you talking and might be inspired to, all right, I want to give this vegan thing a try. And maybe they've never tried it at all or they're complete beginners. Where where would you, I don't know, any advice for them? Would you point them to a certain resource? Would you, you know, give a couple tips or whatever you want to go with this? But what advice would you give to someone that, would want to look into transitioning to a more vegan lifestyle?
1: You know, I don't really know because I was my own resource. Because I, I was educated in nutrition based on my fitness past, mm-hmm. I was able to essentially go by my own knowledge. And I, I, I read the research myself. I don't really know what resource to point people towards. I just for anyone looking to transition to veganism i would say don't do it without doing your research on it because the risk of developing nutrient deficiencies on the vegan diet is high if you don't know what you're doing it might be you might feel fine you know for two years or three years but if you have a poorly planned vegan diet after a while your body can um, depleted stores of some nutrients, some vitamins, some some minerals, and you might develop annoying health issues. Not, you know, life-threatening or anything like that, but, you know, fatigue, you know, depression, some you know, angular stomatitis, you know, some cuts at the corners of the mouth, uh, you know, little annoying stuff like this. And a lot of people that uh, transition to the, to the vegan diet without being aware of these things that you need to be well educated in nutrition to be able to do it right or you need to take supplements to make sure that you're not deficient in stuff they can develop nutrient deficiencies and then they give up on the diet and say it's stupid because it's unsustainable it's, it's unhealthy you cannot do it uh, over the long term and this is something that I wouldn't want to happen You know, if you don't know what you're doing don't be 100% vegan for now if you really care about the ethical causes go you know eat 90% vegan you know have have a have four vegan days a week mm-hmm. and start start there or, or if you if um if you want to to get educated on 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 the stuff uh I I don't really know where what resource to point it towards there's going to be my book which is going to be published sometime yeah. <laughs> and I, I go in depth in uh, the the nutrients of of concern for for vegans and at the end I'm going to include a a plan for how to eat to avoid nutrient deficiencies and also make it enjoyable and get enough protein and you know you could even be a bodybuilder with that with a diet plan mm-hmm. but uh, I just wanted to 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 point this out Um, to be a healthy vegan long term you have to be well educated in nutrition so you know what foods contain different nutrients Mm -hmm. and also what quantities of those nutrients you need on on a daily basis and you also need to have the discipline to take certain supplements to to take certain supplements every day the supplements that are i would say non-negotiable on the vegan diet are B12, um, vegan omega uh, omega three fatty fatty acids. So that would be DHA and EPA, not LAA, uh, that is in uh, flaxseed oil and hemp seeds. So you need the. Uh, I, I, f- I forget what the acronym stands for, but there are three three uh, omega three fatty acids, and you need the the DHA and EPA version. That usually uh, you can only get them from um, from algae. There is certain supplements that are on sale right now, and also vitamin D uh, in winter time. In the summer, not so important, but um, if, if you spend some some time some time outside, your skin produces enough vitamin D. But in winter, you need you need to to, to supplements to, to supplement. And uh, this is something that you know before any time a vegan tries to uh, encourage an omnivore to join the movement and help reduce suffering on this planet they should talk about this stuff not say hey look it's so easy you know just you know eat some fruits and veggies and you'll be fine because you you won't be fine a lot of people you know go on the fruitarian diet where they eat fruit all the time and then they they develop uh, in intestinal bacterial overgrowth from all that all that fructose so there's a lot of stuff yeah there's a, there's a lot of stuff that you need to know <laughs> and it isn't yet common, na- com- common knowledge on the omnivore diet you know you grow up with this stuff your parents inform you what not to eat a lot of what to eat a lot of but on on the vegan diet for for most people it's a it's a switch bam immediately everything changes and you need to be
0: educated on this stuff i think that is great advice because one you're being completely transparent about hey it's not this easy thing like you have to put in that work you have to do your research to be able to make sure that it is sustainable and it is something that you can do over a long period of time so you can make those lifestyle changes and the other thing is like you said it's not an on or off switch or it doesn't have to be an on or off switch it's something you could gradually transition to and i think that could be very helpful, especially if you maybe do care about some of those same motives as it is ethical or sustainability in the environment. You could start to go, you know, uh, you know, 50% vegan, 60% vegan, and just gradually switch it until whatever you're comfortable with and how you're able to build your lifestyle around that. But no, that is awesome advice, man. Um, I, I, Unfortunately, we are out of time. I would like to learn more because I don't have a lot of knowledge in veganism, but I really do appreciate you, Radu, hopping on. And, you know, I know you have your YouTube account and I know people can follow you. So where should people go if they want to learn more about your content, your information, and the new book that hopefully soon you'll be releasing?
1: Yeah, uh, my YouTube channel would, would be the main source. Um, where I, I will post in-depth information there. And also you can follow me on, on Instagram. These are the only two to platforms that i'm active on and as f- for the book you know i'm going to when it's going to be published i'm going to uh, announce it everywhere you know <laughs> because i want a- a- everyone to, to to know it's out so you shouldn't miss it
0: gotcha what's your instagram handle so people can find you it's my name at radu antonio and how do you spell your last name so people know
1: <laughs> uh, a-n-t-o-n
0: i you perfect all right so go follow him especially if you want to learn more about like i said just fitness in general he's got a lot of great content there and specifically veganism because that's a i mean the videos he started posting just look like a really interesting project where you can learn about even if you don't want to convert but just you want to learn more about it but all right man thank you so much for joining us today it's been fantastic talking with you Thanks for having me, Daniel. It was a pleasure. All right. So that is a wrap. That was my interview with Radu. And I personally enjoyed it because I was able to gather a lot of different perspectives that I feel I can actually apply to my lifestyle and my fitness journey. But I quickly want to summarize some of these main points that I learned. One You don't have to go and perform at this elite level in the gym and have this elite level of nutrition lifestyle. You could slack back a bit. Maybe if you're just doing that 80% of your nutrition plan or that 80% in the gym, you can still get pretty amazing results. Two, intuitive eating. (laughs) I suck at intuitive eating. I'm, I'm a huge emotional eater. In fact, that's actually something that I've started to experiment a lot more with very recently. And I think it's going to be more of an end result that I want to get to, to a point where I'm eating intuitively, but I still understand the food. So in this podcast episode, when Radu broke down those three different parts of how to develop and get into intuitive eating, I definitely found that as super valuable. And just what most of the podcast was about, which was veganism. He brought in so many different perspectives, so many philosophies, so many different thoughts that... I would have never thought or known about unless I were to just go and dive deep into doing the research. So I'm really appreciative about that. Those are some of my biggest takeaways. I'm really curious to see what some of yours were. And I hope that you actually got a lot of value from this episode. If you got a lot of value from this episode, you know what to do. You could go leave a review. You could leave me feedback. I'm always looking to improve these podcast episodes because I want them to bring the most value to you. And one more announcement, I just opened up the Instagram page for Fitness Frameworks where I want to interact with you guys even more. And I think it'll be a lot easier to be able to do my live calls, my live Q&As and be able to just pass on information to you guys and keep in contact with you. So if you go to Instagram and you look up the handle Fitness Frameworks, you'll find the Fitness Frameworks page and I hope to see you there. Other than that, Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. If you happen to be listening to this and I'll catch you on the next episode. Peace. Yo, I'm sure you're thinking right now, what an amazing episode, but where can I learn more? I got you. I want you to head over to the Fitness Frameworks Instagram page at Fitness Frameworks. This is where I plan on engaging with you guys, whether it's just answering your questions or even then just having conversations about developing a sustainable fitness lifestyle. So head over to the Fitness Frameworks page on Instagram and I'll see you there.